really glad to be with all of you this morning. We're going to be in the Old Testament today. Um, I woke up with a message on my heart. I had read um, parts of this passage this week in the scripture readings that I use in the devotional resource that I utilize from week to week, but I uh, woke up this morning and thought this is where the Lord wanted to take us. So I'm going to ask you to turn to the Old Testament book of Jonah. It's a small book um, named after a prophet, really a missionary who is sent out by God. I love the book of Jonah in the Old Testament because um, it is really a story about a missionary and, and not a great missionary at that. And so um, I can relate to his story some because he just isn't the greatest missionary. Do you know that because God has fundamentally sent himself to us, um, his spirit is a sent spirit, he is a missionary God, um, because that is fundamentally who God is, it means that all of us as part of his family in our very identities are missionaries. Um, I know some people have that title, you know, a missionary, and we support them and send them to another nation. Now in the Alliance, we call them international workers instead of missionaries, but for many years we called them missionaries. Um, but the truth is that all of us in our identity are missionaries. The question is, are we good missionaries or bad missionaries? You know, um, That's really the question. But in our identity, we are fundamentally sent because God has sent himself to us. So I think that's one of the reasons I like the story of Jonah. So we're going to uh, read from Jonah chapter 4 in just a moment. I'm going to remind us of this story. It might be familiar to you, maybe not. Um, I'll take us through the story in just a moment. But can I just share a testimony Really quickly, before we get to that, um, yesterday evening, I had the privilege of preaching at Ambridge Alliance Church across the river from us. Um, Brock and Don Covington have been pastoring there the last few years. Um, Brock has stopped through our services sometimes. They're just doing an amazing job. And I was so encouraged a few years ago, um, and I think Ambridge Alliance would say this about themselves, they were uh, in a really tough spot and wondering, you know, what God had for their future. And I just couldn't be more encouraged last night at the worship service that I was at and all of the things that God is doing. Um, but it was their 100th anniversary. You've probably heard me say before that the Gospel Tabernacle here in Aliquippa is 103 years old. We celebrate our 100th anniversary just a few years ago. And our churches are so close in age because we share a similar origin story um, about 100 years ago, I know I've referenced this before, there was a powerful revival happening on the north side of Pittsburgh at what is now Allegheny Center Alliance Church. And the pastor of ACAC on the north side at the time, um, his name was E.D. Whiteside. And God just powerfully used this man to lead this revival, um, but also to uh, multiply just so many church planters that went out and planted churches in the river valleys surrounding Pittsburgh. And um, we are one of those churches. Um, an older saint in our church handed me uh, a note she found in her mom's Bible um, that recorded E.D. Whiteside coming to Aliquippa when our house was, when our church was still meeting in a house in Plan 12. It was just a prayer meeting um, in Plan 12. And E.D. Whiteside was coming down with his church planters and eventually assigned a church planter to this church. Um, I love this, I love that story because really we were birthed out of revival. 
and so was Ambridge. If you read the descriptions of the revivals happening in Pittsburgh, these, these worship services that they were having for these few years, uh, it was just like unceasing, kind of revival happening. And uh, God's glory would so fall so powerfully in their services. Um, I've read descriptions of um, people just not being able to get off the ground. I mean, it would just look like a bomb went off in the room, and people are just laying on the floor, just unable to get up, um, sometimes for hours at a time. God's glory was so heavy in the room. And um, what that resulted in was mission and multiplication, and we were one of the churches that was planted out of that revival. Well, so was Ambridge Alliance a few years later. They started as the Ambridge Gospel Mission, and then the Ambridge Gospel Tabernacle, and then eventually came to be called Ambridge Alliance Church. So anyway, last night I was hearing them, you know, recount their history. And this is, this is the part I really want to tell you. They were talking about the years of the Great Depression and how their church was started in this season of, of revival, like I said, and people were getting healed and delivered. They were seeing all this stuff happen. And then they hit the Great Depression, and it said that they noticed that God's glory just wasn't being experienced in the same way in their services because they were discouraged and depressed and concerned about everything going on in the nation and all of this stuff just hit a hard time. And um, in that season, God raised up a woman in their congregation, and they said her name last night, I don't remember it, but God raised up a woman in their congregation who really played a prophetic role and said, um, look, we have to pray. Like, Something isn't the same, you know, like we're, we're missing something that our church was started in, you know, 30 years ago and things have gotten dry and stale and we've got to pray. And so she and just like three or four other people started to pray every day. Uh, they would meet at the church sanctuary and begin to pray. And before they knew it, the whole church was praying again. And then they entered into a new season of revival on the Ambridge Alliance and started seeing all these people come to Christ and all this healing happen again. But I just love the tenacity of that, you know, that is like we cannot do church without God's manifest presence, right? That what are we doing if this isn't about his presence, if it's about him showing up? This cannot be just about hearing a sermon and singing some songs and hanging out together. I don't know. Like, I can't do that. I don't think many of you can do that. Like, this has to be about God's presence. And I just love the tenacity of um, our brothers and sisters in Ambridge in those years during the Great Depression to say, look, we are not going to let the spirit of the age get to us, right? Like, this is a hard season, but God has still put us on mission. There's challenges, but we got to find a way to stay on mission. And that didn't look like trying harder. It looked like praying more, amen? So I loved celebrating with them last night. It was really good. Keep them in prayers. I sent them our greetings, and I just told them, I said, we are rooting for you across the river. So... Um, okay, Jonah. Jonah is really a story of God's mission to Nineveh, which is the capital of the Assyrian Empire in ancient times. Um, Assyria, the Assyrian Empire, has gone down in history as one of the cruelest, most powerful, most evil empires that has ever been on the face of the earth famous for its idolatry, its sexual immorality, but especially its violence. Assyria, every empire is violent, but Assyria was especially ruthless in its violence. Um, one thing it has gone down in history known for is that when it conquered a city and wanted to punish its political and military opponents, 
Um, it would hang people on poles outside the city and skin them alive, just unimaginable kinds of torment um, to assert their dominance and control in the region. Um, but our God is a God of grace. He's a God on mission, and he's a God who extends himself even to an empire like this. And to do it, um, he speaks to a man named Jonah, a prophet. And he wants Jonah to go to this place, to be on mission with God there, and to proclaim that, uh, that this God is extending grace and mercy to Nineveh and that they should repent. Um, here's why I think I'm being drawn to the story of Nineveh in this moment and the story of Jonah in this moment. I think I've shared a number of times over the last few weeks that in the last year, there's probably no prayer. I pray more frequently for our leaders, for all of you, than Jesus' prayer in the New Testament and the Gospel of John. Sanctify them in your truth. Lord, your word is truth. Um, that God would set us apart for the special purpose that he's called us to, and that he would build in us the character and power um, that uh, we are to steward in the callings that he's given us. Um, I believe, friends, that you are not common. You are holy, set apart for a special purpose. Um, but that calling, what that means is, if God is calling us to this special purpose of mission, which he's called all of us to, we're missionaries in our identity, um, if this is what he's called us to, I also believe it means that there are things that he intends to expose in our hearts. And in exposing them, his mercy and grace reveals them so that we can join him in the work of renewal and revival that he's doing in the world. There's lots of ways that God can do this, lots of ways that God can shape us. Um, but I love the story of Jonah because God shapes Jonah while Jonah is on mission. And that resonates with me because as I have followed Jesus on mission, uh, a lot has been exposed in me over the years. Um, there was a time when I would have been ashamed to admit that, or um, I would have, you know, been crushed in guilt and wondered, like, oh, I'm not even worthy, like, to be on this mission. But over the years, I've just learned that this is how God works. And if God is exposing something, it's just his love that's exposing it. Um, he exposes it not to destroy us, but to heal us, to give us... Um, um, mercy and grace to experience his love in the places in our own lives and souls that we would rather not face ourselves. Um, so I'm going to walk you through the story of Jonah and then we'll read from Jonah 4. So God comes to Jonah and says, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh, this city. I want you to, to preach to them. Um, I want you to preach to them that they need to repent um, because their sin has come up before me. Um, the wickedness, the evil that they've done. And for God to send someone to preach a message of repentance is God extending his mercy and grace even to this wicked city. Um, and many of you know the story. Jonah's immediate response is not to go to Nineveh, but to jump on a ship and go in the opposite direction, basically, to do everything he can to stay away from this city. And one thing I've seen is that one of the first things that God does in our hearts, he does in Jonah's heart to expose what's really there, is he begins to speak to us about our calling. He gives Jonah a particular calling, a particular assignment. Hey, I want you to go to Nineveh. The way that our hearts respond to that calling um, is going to expose what's really there. 
Maybe you and I were just going about our day as normal, but now God is asking us to join him in something that he's doing in this person's life or at work or um, you know, at our school or in our family or in our neighborhood. He's asking us to join him in what he's doing. Our heart is typically going to have some kind of response to that. Maybe it's fear. Um, maybe there's all kinds of shame that surfaces. Maybe there's just an unwillingness to join God in that work. But it's often God speaking to us that brings about the response in our heart. And what is revealed in our heart in that time, we might not have even been aware of it, but what reveals in our heart in that time, in that moment of calling, is what was there anyway, right? The calling is just drawing it out. Jonah's response, the way his heart responded to God's call, Jonah, that was already there in Jonah's heart. It's just that God speaking to him is now drawing this out. Now, we're going to find out later in the story the particular reason why Jonah was unwilling to go to Nineveh, but this story is masterful in the way that the author writes it because we're not even told Jonah's motivation yet. We're just told that he is unwilling. And so he jumps on a ship. The ship goes into the sea, and before they know it, there's a raging storm because God sends this storm. One time I had a guy tell me, a very anointed guy who was not following God's call on his life. As a matter of fact, he's still not. And I remember um, him saying to me, he was standing in my kitchen, and he said, Joel, the most miserable thing is to have a call from God and to not pursue it wholeheartedly. Um, he was like, I'm miserable because I'm running from God. Um, and that's what happened to Jonah. He's miserable because he's running from God, you know? And so this storm comes and the ship is being tossed and the sailors who worship other gods are, are praying to their gods, asking for deliverance. And Jonah ends up saying, hey, um, I think I'm the problem. Um, I've been running from my God. I think I'm the one that has caused this storm. And, and the sailors you know, still hope that somehow the storm will go away. The storm doesn't go away, and so they make a decision to throw Jonah overboard into the sea. And they throw him over, the storm subsides. Um, and I find that this is the case, too, that in these moments of storm, God reveals to us um, our need for a Savior. Um, here's what happens. You know the story, Jonah goes over the ship into the sea, it gets swallowed by a big fish of some kind and is alive in the belly of this fish for three days. Jonah chapter 2 uh, records a song that Jonah sings from the belly of the fish. And it's a song asking God for deliverance. It's a song asking God for salvation. Um, in that song, he says the words on the screen today, salvation comes from the Lord. It's in the belly of the fish that God reveals to Jonah that not only does Nineveh need a savior, Jonah needs a savior too. Jonah, in this desperate state, if you read the words of Jonah chapter 2, it's like, it's like I'm in the roots of the mountain. I'm at the bottom of the sea. There's seaweed wrapped around my face. It's like I need a savior. Jonah is getting in touch with his own need. And I find that this is something else that God exposes in our hearts as we begin to follow him on mission, or even as we try to run away from our calling, um, I find that God begins to reveal something in us about our own need for a Savior. Um, our stories are different, but I see this in so many people who began to follow God's call. I remember having the thought years ago in Aliquippa, and I knew the truth about Jesus, 
But I remember the longer I got on mission in Aliquippa, I thought, you know what? My soul is in just as much a need of a savior as anyone that I've talked to, as anyone that I've hung out with. I remember having the thought, you know, in Aliquippa, because of the rapid disinvestment that happened, we have, you know, lots of abandoned buildings. And I thought, sometimes my soul has looked like those abandoned buildings. I'm in need of repair. I'm in need of a savior. It's God's grace that brings us to that place where we begin to see that and understand it and know it. Um, This is where I want us to pick up the story in Jonah 4. We're going to read it. It'll be up on the screen. Um, You know, after Jonah has this moment of, of recognizing his need for grace, God causes the fish to burp up Jonah back onto the ground. So God does give Jonah deliverance. Jonah goes to the city of Nineveh. And he preaches to them. Um, And when he preaches to them, something unexpected happens. The whole city, from the king to the lowest person in the city, responds to the message and repents. Um, They fast and pray and ask God for his mercy. And God spares the city, the capital city of this ruthless empire from utter destruction. And this is where we pick up in Jonah 4 verse 1. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. This being God showing mercy to this city. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord. Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life. For it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat down at the place east of the city. Now we see Jonah's motivation for running in the first place. Um, I, I don't know, I probably just missed this when I was a kid. But when I learned this story in kindergarten, I had a sense that Nineveh was such a scary place that Jonah didn't want to go there because he was scared. But that's not what this story is about. Jonah never says he's afraid to go to the city. He names his own motivation here in Jonah chapter 4. For Jonah, it's like, I knew this would happen. I knew this would happen, that you're merciful, that you're gracious, um, that you would look at these wicked people who do these wicked things and that you would show mercy and grace to them. There's two powerful things in this about when we follow God on mission, what gets exposed in our hearts. First of all, it's implicit in the story, but as the Ninevites, these Assyrian, ruthless, this ruthless empire, as these people um, repent, um, there's a humanizing aspect to their story that might not have been there before. Um, even the king, what is in a king's heart? You tell me. What is in a king's heart to ruthlessly take over other nations and even skin people alive? What kind of wickedness is inside of that king and these officials to do something like that? It's so easy to dehumanize people like that because in some ways they're acting less than human, right? Um, it's so easy to label them. It's so easy to call them something. It's so, and this is so much of the name calling that even goes on in In our culture, it's so much easier to label a group of people and give them a name because then we don't have to face the fact that these people are human. 
Um, but as it turns out, these people are human. For as wicked as they are, they're still created in God's image. And they have the capacity by God's grace to respond to a message of repentance. And I think this is one reason Jonah's upset, because he has to face the fact that these people are not just animals who deserve God's judgment or something, but these people are humans like himself. That exposes something in his heart, exposes a kind of prejudice. And as that prejudice gets exposed, um, Jonah has to face the fact that he did not want these people to experience God's mercy. He did not want these people to experience God's grace. He knew that God was merciful. He knew this was going to happen. And this is not what he was looking for. The prejudice of his heart gets exposed. And this always happens as we follow God on mission, as we follow Jesus on mission. New prejudices that we didn't even know were there. Listen, people are always like, I don't have any prejudice in my heart. That is garbage. You most certainly do. And if you're saying you don't, it's just because you have yet to fully face the depths of who you are. And, and if you want to know what's in your heart, then follow God on mission to people who are different than you and see what gets exposed in your heart, right? Um, this kind of prejudice is getting exposed for Jonah. You know, at our church, we talk, and I think this is a really important word right here, uh, because we are a church committed to justice, to speaking up for the poor and the oppressed. Um, and because of that, we talk a lot about empire, um, empire is a big theme in the scriptures. It shows up here in Jonah as we talk about the Assyrians. Um, and empire in scripture really just represents the entire world system. Um, it's economies and politics and leaders and institutions. And the way that these things are often energized by demonic powers uh, to, to execute violence on weak people, um, to weaponize against the oppressed and the marginalized. And God has called us to be part of an alternate kingdom. We are part of a kingdom where Jesus is king. We're not citizens of any empire here on the earth, really. We are citizens of that kingdom. And we teach all of that here at the Gospel Tab because I think it's an important way to understand our Bibles and to understand our role in the world. But I also want to say this. Even though we are part of a different kingdom, it is not the Bible's teaching that our response to empire should be then that we should hate it or attack it or that, yes, there are times when we have to get in the way of how it is hurting and oppressing other people and we let ourselves stand in that gap and get in the way of the way empire is hurting people. But the message of Jonah is clear. God loves empire. God extends mercy and grace to empire. And if you have any doubt of that, read Jonah because Assyria is like the worst empire. And God is extending his mercy to this whole thing. And this shouldn't surprise us because this is exactly what God is like. God loves his enemies. Empire is, is a whole idolatrous system. Assyria is a whole idolatrous system that sets itself up against the glory of God. But God's response to empire is to love it. And so he extends his grace to Jonah, to this group of people. Um, I think there's something that gets exposed in our hearts when we see God's furious, unden un, uh, uh, undeniable, relentless, um, unwavering love for the people that we would rather label, 
for the people that we would rather say are totally wicked and without hope, for the people that we, you know, whoever those people are for you. And it's very easy to come up with righteous justifications for why these people are so bad. Jonah had righteous justifications. This was a people, the Assyrians were people who were oppressing the people of God. He had every reason to think that these people were opposed to God and opposed to God's people, and yet this is getting exposed in his heart. God loves these people. Um, there's something that gets exposed in us that brings us into contact, not just with God's love for us in the belly of the fish, but God's love for other people, even our enemies. Friends, this is so important in today's world because we live in a world where there's all kinds of voices coming up with righteous reasons why we should hate those people, whoever they are. But God loved Nineveh. God loved Assyria. We have to be so careful how we talk, even about our enemies. God loved these people and extends his mercy and grace to them. But then I love this next part of the story. Let's keep reading. Um, so Jonah sits east of the city. He's sulking. It says, there he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen in the city. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. But, and Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm, which chewed through the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? I love how God just keeps asking Jonah these questions. Is this right? Is it right for you to be angry? It is, he said, and I'm so angry I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people, who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals. Um, so Jonah, something has been exposed in his heart in response to God's call. Something's been exposed in his heart, a need for a savior in the belly of the fish. Something's been exposed in his heart as he watches God's love for a people that he would rather not have mercy on. And now God is going even deeper. He causes this plant to grow. Jonah feels comfortable because he has shade. And then the next day, God takes away the plant by making this worm eat it. And then Jonah's all upset. And now we see what is maybe the ugliest thing in Jonah's heart, being exposed on mission, that Jonah, at the end of the day, prioritizes his own comfort over the needs of a whole city of people who cannot tell their left hand from their right. He just prioritizes his own comfort. Um, he's more emotionally invested in and more emotionally upset about a plant that gives him shade so that he doesn't get too hot or have sunburn than he is for the whole city that he's sitting and looking over and the people in it who are completely lost unless God does something. He would just rather be comfortable. He would rather God be a God who just keeps him comfortable than be a God who's extending mercy to this empire city and asking Jonah to be part of that story. He would rather relate to God as, God who, as a God who provides these trivial needs so that he can stay comfortable and safe rather than be with God and what's burning in God's heart, showing mercy for this whole city. 
It's so easy to say, like, ah, oh, Jonah should have known better and all that. But I don't know about you. I, as I have followed Jesus on mission, God has revealed all of these things in me as well. It's, it's actually the whole story from beginning to end. And Jonah is a story of God's grace. This is part of how God works. It's part of his grace toward us that as we follow him, things get exposed in our hearts that we weren't able to see before. So I was reflecting on this this morning. Um, I was thinking about a particular time when God um, exposed some things in my heart about mission. Um, it was kind of one of uh, my own Jonah stories, uh, kind of a watershed moment for me as God was uh, asking me you know, to lead here at the Gospel Tab. So I want to share with you that story. Um, a few years ago, I was in Georgia, um, I was supposed to speak at Toccoa Falls College, um, but on the day that I was supposed to speak, the remnants of uh, a tropical storm blew through the Atlanta area in northeast Georgia. Um, Toccoa has a lot of, the, the campus has a lot of water running through the campus, and so the campus flooded because, you know, the water was so bad, so my speaking engagement got canceled. And I was staying with a friend in the Atlanta area, and um, when I have the opportunity when I'm in Atlanta, I love to go to Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s grave. Um, he's buried beside Credit Scott King um, there in Ebenezer Baptist Church where Dr. King preached is right there. Um, and I love to go there and pray. And so I had an extra day because my, my speaking engagement got moved while they were cleaning up from the flood. And so I thought, you know what, I'm going to go by Dr. King's grave and, and pray and so I got there, and it was awesome because I'm, I'm in Midtown Atlanta, and there's nobody there. I mean, because the storm had come through, the city was kind of shut down, and so I'm there alone. I mean, I was able to, like, pray out loud, pray in tongues, like, nobody's around. You know, I, mean, I look like a crazy person, you know, walking around Atlanta. Um, but I was just there alone, um, you know, walking around and praying. But I had something specific on my heart. It was a burden related to my leadership here at the Gospel Tab. And some of you know this story. Um, you know, friends, part of our story here at the Gospel Tab is God put us on mission. And I've been on staff now 14 years. Um, and a hard part of our story is that if I were to look at the congregation that was here when I got here 14 years ago, um, almost 90% of those people no longer worship with us, almost 90%. Now, I want to be very clear and very careful in what I'm saying here. Um, I'm talking about people who are, in many cases, my friends. I grew up at this church. I'm talking about good people, people who faithfully served and invested here. As a matter of fact, over the years, as people left, um, I have on file, I, I wrote letters to so many of those people and just thanked them for their investment here, for the way that they built here, loved here. We wouldn't have a foundation to build on if it wasn't for so many of them. So I really wanted to honor them, you know, as they left. Um, um, and, uh, you know, it's okay for people to feel called elsewhere. I just want to say that at the beginning of this story. Um, I don't think we're the be-all, end-all. I don't think we're the best at church or anything. There's a lot of people doing things better than us. And and then there's just God's call. God leads people to other places. I don't feel like we own people. It's okay for people to go other places. And by God's grace, even though so much of that original congregation moved on, um, uh, there was never a division. 
uh, there was like a big divide. There was never a church split. There was never, it wasn't anything like that. It was just a trickle and a lot of tearful conversations with people, thanking them for the way that they invested here and hugging each other, expressing our love for each other, but then parting ways. Um, Well, at this time when I was in Atlanta, I just felt like it was going to happen again. Um, I felt like there were some people who were going to make an exit. And, you know, even though God has been good all these years through all that story, and I don't have to tell you, God has, like, 90% of our congregation eventually moved on, but, like, 90% of our congregation is new in the last five years. I mean, God has just brought so many people to be part, you know, of what's happening here. It's undeniable, you know, that God has been in the midst of this. Um, but, you know, many of these years I've been leading as a young pastor, when, when that many people are leaving, even if you're getting reassurance from people, you wonder if you're screwing the whole thing up, right? Like, you wonder if you're just messing up the entire thing, right? Um, and so I would have these moments, you know, of, like, of self-doubt. Um, so anyway, when I went to Atlanta, this was some of the pain that was in my heart. Um, I was just thinking about folks who left who I missed, um, I was thinking about hard conversations that happened. I was wondering if, if we were going in the right direction as a church. I mean, all of this stuff. And so I went to Atlanta, and I had this extra day, and I thought, I'm going to go by MLK's grave and, and pray about this. Now, here's something you need to remember as I tell you this story. Over the years, um, you know, as people made their exit, uh, they've given me a whole bunch of different reasons about why they could no longer worship with us. Now, some people don't give any reason at all. Um, but if I were to name the three main reasons that I've heard over the years about why people left, most of them could be traced back to one of these things. Um, one, and it's the one that gets verbally said the least because people know better, but you end up hearing it secondhandedly. One was that our church was now reaching into communities where people were different than us, and our church family was becoming more diverse. At one point, this comment reached my ears from the youth group. A family pulled their kid out of the youth group and attended a different church because they didn't like the thought of black youth leaders working with their kids. Now, let me be very clear on this one. You can't have bigots praying for revival, all right? Um, and so God has to do a work, right, in cleansing some of this out. This person never would have said that to my face, ever, because um, they knew better. Um, instead, they said it to a friend who said it to a friend, and you know how this goes. <laughs> um, and then before you know it, you know, they're, they're pulling their kid out of the church. So that's one reason, and maybe the least stated one, because people are embarrassed to speak out their prejudices, but but I knew it's been a factor over the last few years. Another one was our openness and our welcoming of the Holy Spirit's ministry and his work. Um, our church was founded in this. We were founded in a revival that had lost, had lost some of that over the years. And as this began to be recovered, um, some people just started to see the Holy Spirit do things in our gatherings that were unfamiliar to them, uncomfortable for them. Um, they weren't sure how to do it, process it. And... Um, and honestly, that used to be me at one point, so I can even be sympathetic to it. I can understand it. Um, I had to have people walk me through that, and so people just felt like they just couldn't be part of that anymore and needed to leave. And another one, if I look back on conversations, was um, people were sometimes surprised at the way that we empowered women in our church. 
And, you know, sometimes women are preaching or women are leading ministries. Our church also has a rich history of this as well. Um, but there'd be people who just weren't sure that that's how church should be operating for a number of reasons. And so those are three big reasons. Um, if, and maybe said in different ways, but I could trace back some of the, some of the you know, angst in our congregation over those years to those three things. Um, in different ways. And I'm sure there were other reasons as well. Like maybe people just didn't like my sermons or whatever. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, but those are the three that I remember. So anyway, I'm in Atlanta. And I just feel like my heart is torn. Because I'm feeling like, man, am I a failure? Um, what if this whole thing falls apart? I could tell more people were going to leave. And this has like real tangible financial implications for our church. I mean, your mind just starts racing, you know, with all of this stuff. And I'm walking around and praying alone. And I round the corner and I see that there's a woman walking on the other side of the street. And um, Atlanta has a large homeless population. There's this homeless woman walking on the other side of the street. And get this, the next day at Tacoa, I am preaching on the story of the Good Samaritan, right? About... The good Samaritan who stopped and helped the person, right? I'm sorry, she was not walking on the other side of the street. She was walking on my side of the street. And I thought to myself, if I stay on this side of the sidewalk and walk past her, she's going to talk to me, and I don't want to talk to her because I'm praying. You know what I mean? And so, so anyway, I'm literally preaching on the good Samaritan the next Sunday, and I, I begin to enact, like, the bad people in that story. <laughs> like, if you know anything about that story, like, like, I have to go to the temple. I can't talk to you. You know what I mean? So, so I go to cross over, and I just felt the Lord say to me, no, 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 don't cross over. Um, you need to stay here um, on this side and engage her and talk. Um, so I walk up to her, homeless woman. She's African-American. Um, and I walk up to her and say hello or something, and she says, hey, do you have any money? Well, I did have cash in my pocket. I had a $7 in cash in my pocket, five and two ones. Uh, I rarely have cash on me, but I did have cash this day. And, um, and I, I pull out the five, and I heard the Lord say, give her what's in your pocket. But I pulled out the five and left the $2 bills, I don't know, and, and handed her, you know, the five. And, and then she's holding a rose. There's a beautiful rose garden on the grounds in honor of Credit Scott King. And, um, and she says, um, hey, I want you to have this rose. She said, smell it. It's beautiful. She said, I never would have picked it, but the storm blew it off uh, last night. And so I smell this. It's beautiful. She wants me to have this rose. So I give her most of what I had. And she gives me all of what she has, right, this rose. And then she goes, what are you doing here? And I said, oh, I'm, I'm praying. And she said, oh, I love to pray here. And she was quiet for a second. And she said, you know, I feel like God's saying to you that you just need to keep doing what you're doing. Like, it's going to be fine. Just keep doing what you're doing. You're already doing it, you know? And there I was wondering if, like, we needed to change directions or whatever. Anyway, oh, and by the way, then I gave her the last $2. <laughs> and... There were so many, there were so many prophetic things in this picture. Look, look at my interaction with her. This poor woman, she's homeless, African-American woman who's prophesying to me. She embodied kind of everything that we had been heading toward and embracing as a family, you know, in the last 10 years. 
Um, there was $7 in my pocket. I don't think that number is a mistake. Seven is a number of fullness. And at first, I only wanted to give a little bit, you know. Um, and I just felt like God was saying, no, you give it all. Because this is where my heart is going. And your role and your family's role, the family on mission's role, is just to join me in what my heart is doing, right? If God is going to Nineveh, then go to Nineveh with him. If he's extending mercy to empire, extend mercy with him. If he's going to the streets, we go to the streets. If he's going to the nation, we go to the nation. We give your all to it. And, you know, I went there to pray, honestly, because of the because of people making their exit, I was concerned about the financial implications for our church. By the way, God has miraculously provided, you know, all of these years. But I just felt the Lord saying to me, when you give your all, there will be a blessing in return, this flower. And it might not be, you know, what you gave, you know, but there will be a blessing. And it will be beautiful. When you follow my heart, there will be a blessing in, in what you get back. I'll tell you what, I walked around Atlanta for the next couple hours just repenting and crying and settling with God all of the wrong motivations in my heart. Fear of people, fear about what people would think of me, you know, worry about if the cost was going to be too high. I mean, Jonah has his, his, his own things that need exposed in his heart. I had mine, right? Um, but here was God like exposing what was there and saying, I just want you to join with me in what I'm doing. Friends, that was a number of years ago in Atlanta and I, I go to MLK's grave. I have other stories. It seems like God's presence is just so strong there every time I go. Um, I have other stories there. But what I can tell you this is God has been so good over these last few years to expose what's there, to let it die so that we can more fully participate in what God is doing. Friends, there was something in my heart that day. There was something in my heart that day that was just like, God, I'm all in, you know? Like, I'm all in. Whatever the cost is, however foolish I look, I even remember praying to the Lord. I said, God, I, the truth is, I know what you've called us to. It sounds crazy to get a call like Jonah did to go to Nineveh. Some of the things that we've been called to as a church and as a network sound crazy to people crazy to people, to go to some of the places that God has called us to. Um, and, you know, it, it made me question, it made me wonder, are people going to get this? Are people going to understand? Or, you know, all of this stuff. I have a fear of failure. Is this going to look like a fear? But I remember that day, something rising up in my heart that was like, God, if we follow you all the way, if we give our $7 and we give everything to what you have called us, and if the cost of that is our church dying, then I'm in. Um, because this isn't about just being in survival or comfort or just making sure that there's still a plant over our head or, you know, all of these things. We're always trying to negotiate God's call with our own comfort, negotiate God's call with our own wrong motivation. Just needed all of that to die. And friends, I'm telling you, there's a freedom in stopping that negotiating. I came back just feeling free feeling like it didn't matter what people thought. It really didn't matter the outcome. It didn't matter if our church made it or not. We've made it, by the way. We're still here. But it didn't matter. It was like there's a freedom in just saying, God, I'm in. I'm following you. Deal with whatever you have to in my heart. I'm going all the way, no matter the cost. Um, so anyway, I think we are in a season of that. I think in this season, for many of us, God has been exposing motivations. He's been exposing sin. Um, 
You know, he's been exposing fears that maybe have been there for a long time. And it is the, the prophetic word that came forward today during our worship time. God is doing this, friends, not to shame us, but to free us. And as he frees us, there are wild things that God wants to involve you in. You must know that. You must believe it. You are not going to be left on the outside of this. There are wild things that he wants you to see. Nineveh repenting. That is wild. And he wants you to be there to see it. Um, he wants you to be part of that story. He wants you to have these stories to tell. But that's going to mean God exposing what he has to expose, right? So that we can be there to see it. So that we can be part of what God is doing. Amen. Amen.